Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Todd Sullivan and this is Cashing Out. This show is an open dialogue with fellow founders and former business owners sharing their stories and advice about selling their companies to some of the top acquirers in the world. Today we have a special guest and great friend, Ben Lewis. Ben has had two substantial exits that we're gonna cover today. The first was Tapjoy, a really successful mobile ads platform doing over a hundred million in revenue, which Ben sold to OfferPal in 2010. Now there was big internal debate whether Ben and his co-founder should sell the business when they did, so I'm excited to hear how they made that decision. Ben's next business was called Karma Science, which was a social commerce app focused on helping people give great gifts from their mobile phones. Karma was acquired by Facebook just hours before Facebook went public in 2012. So you know there's some great stories and great learnings there. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Lewis. Ben, thank you for doing this. This is awesome, right? So we've been friends a long time, right? And we've been really part of each other's entrepreneurial journey over the years. And I know we've talked about your exit, but like, I, I don't know that I ever had real insight maybe on, we talked a little bit about Tapjoy when you were, you know, thinking through that. But um, I think this is going to be really informative to people because inherently I think that any M&A process is private, right? And so there are only certain things that you can say, but now you're, you're a few years out of these. And so maybe there's something we can say that we weren't able to a long time ago. So I'm excited to learn. Thank you very much for helping me do this. Of course. You know, happy to be here. Uh, really excited to be able to support you and uh, be part of the ExitWise uh, podcast. Awesome. Well, you are first. I had to bump Cuban to get you in there, right? <laughs> I needed. I really needed a household name, Ben Lewis from San Francisco, or actually not from San Francisco anymore, but uh, not from. Built, built the companies in Silicon Valley. Yep. You want to maybe start with, because I thought this was funny, how I first met you or at least knew of you. Do you remember when we first met? I do. We first met at the beginning of our second year of business school. Okay. And we were told that we had to meet each other because we were both really into startups. And I forget what the exact context was of yeah. our meeting. Okay. But I, I do remember, like, we immediately hit it off and decided to work on a business plan together. Perfect. I remember a slightly different story. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, we have just all got to business school first day, first year, and it's oh. orientation. All right. And it's 400 of us in an auditorium, and there's professors coming up and talking to us about, you know, what the experience is going to be like. And one professor says, eh, we're going to go through cases and we're going to look at the inner workings and strategy and competition between Xbox and PlayStation. And then he drops a couple of facts out there about like how Xbox thought of PlayStation. And then in the middle of this room, like dead center in the middle is this guy that says, ah, that's actually not right. And you got all these like type A personality people on their first day of business school going, who the hell is that? Right. Looking down at you. And immediately the professor engages was like, this is exactly what business school is about. Tell us about it. And you went in to talk about what you did at Xbox. Right. And I could see all these like eyes on you. And I'm like, I, I got to meet this guy. That guy is going to be my buddy. 
And that was like day one. So I don't think our paths crossed because we weren't in the same section, University of Michigan, right? And then you're right. It it was the second year that people were basically like, you two have to get together, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, we had a great, great time in business school. We did. We did have a great time in business school. Uh, It's been fantastic. We've known each other for now 17 years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You were in my wedding. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, all right. Since since this is really about trying to help people get insight and M&A transactions, learning about the exit, can you maybe tell me a little bit about the first company? Tell me about the company, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the first company you're, you're probably referring to is Tapjoy. Yes. It's not my first exit, nor my first company, but the first real one, we'll say. Okay. Uh, like I've always been entrepreneurial. We were like starting businesses when I was in high school. That's right. Um, but... And, and you know the first real exit was Tapjoy, and Tapjoy started uh, mainly because in business school, I, a friend and I won some money in a business plan competition, and we just saved it, and eventually decided to use it to build an iPhone game. This was right in 2008, when the App Store had just launched. So for those of you who weren't around back then, the iPhone had been out for about a year. The iPhone, when it launched, uh, it was incredible. Uh, you know, it was the first mobile device that truly let you browse the internet, thanks to the interface, the the way that you managed the data. It, it was phenomenally better than what was else out there. And it had, by the time the App Store launched, built up at least a million users of the product. Um, and then Apple's like, hey, developers, if you want to bring your software to our phone, you can do that now. Before that, you could only really make websites, like these tiny new mobile web pages. So, you know, a number of com- people thought that this would be a really good opportunity to create a, a viable business. In fact, uh, Kleiner Perkins, one of the premier venture capital firms at the time, created a $100 million iFund dedicated to investing in companies. I remember that. Just, yeah, just to build software yep. for the iPhone. And so there were gaming companies, a lot of gaming companies, but there were messaging companies and other, other companies out there that all started. Um, fantastic founders across the board for these companies. And, and they you know, raised millions of dollars from Kleiner and I'm sure other investors to create software. Um, and, you know, uh, my friend and I, Lee and I, we, we built, we decided to build a game. You know, he had worked uh, for Kleiner as an intern while getting his MBA. And we thought this is a great opportunity. We have you know about 20 grand in cash that we won. Uh, let's just use it to build a game. And between the two of us, we also had engineering abilities, uh, game design abilities, and we knew that we could outsource the remaining pieces of what we wanted to build for roughly the amount of money we had in the bank. And that was about right. So we decided to build a tower defense game because I had been playing a tower defense games on my computer and that they were really fun and that'd be great for the mobile format. And so we did. We we found outsourced developers, outsourced artists, outsourced sound to create this game. Uh, I designed it. Uh, I remember going and, and spending a lot of my time. Uh, I was working at Google at the time. When I got home from Google, I would go and I'd build my spec and design this game. And, you know, Lee took care of a lot of the other stuff, but uh, the game design was definitely something I spent a ton of my time on, uh, including how the game worked, all the values, etc. Well, Long story short, we did launch it right around Christmas time. So it was about November, and we launched this game. Right before we launched it, we were going to charge $5 for the game. And back then, I know this sounds crazy, but everyone was just charging for their games. Okay. You, yeah. So you charge, you know, 
$3, $5, $10. And it sounds crazy today, but back then that was sort of the standard. And right before we launched our game, this other game called Field Runners came out. And Field Runners was really good. It looked better than our game. It was a tower defense game with better graphics. We're like, well, we can't compete with this. They're charging $5. We said, we should be free and have ads, and we'll probably make as much money from ads as we would from charging. We did, we did the math. We're like, oh, we'll get about a penny for every time someone views an ad, and that will add up. Uh, did not know enough about ads at the time. Definitely didn't know enough about mobile ads. And we, so what happens, but we also didn't know about free. And so we launched our game, and it turns out that free is way more popular than paid. <laughs> way, way more popular. So within like a week, we shot up to the number one app in the App Store, which Amazing. meant by rankings, like literally like the most popular game was ours. Most popular app was ours. Uh, we were, you know, before we knew it, the millennia gameplay was under a belt. And it turns out because people wanted free. And we were showing these ads. And the, the, what we found out is, A, our, our estimates on how much money we would make from ads were vastly too high. Uh, we were making like maybe 1% or 2% as much as we thought we might make. We also learned about this thing called fill rate. So Tyler, if you remember, fill rates yeah. are when you request an ad, how often is an ad actually returned? Because they need, like, for the ad agency, in this case, we were using a company called AdMob to supply us with ads. Well, if AdMob hadn't sold ads to their customers, then there were no ads to fill for our display. And so we were only getting was a 35% fill rate. And so what we had at our, our hands, were like this was about Christmas time. We were number one in the app store and like the app store was locked over Christmas. So as everyone was getting their new iPhones for Christmas, the first thing they would do is open the app store and download our game. So we became even more popular. So we had this very popular game and we were just not making that much money from it. Uh, the, at least as much as we thought we were making, yeah. which we should have been making. And you were still at Google so, at the time? I was still at Google, but over Christmas, Lee and I decided that we were going to make this a reality, that I would get back in January, I'd quit Google, uh, we would do this full-time, he would finish up business school, but we would make this a full-time business. And we said, this is there's something here, right? It's the start of something, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, and and you know, I, I've always been entrepreneurial, just like you, Todd, and mm -hmm. I, I knew I was gonna do a startup, and so this was a great opportunity to do a startup, right? We had a game with, like, thousands if not millions of users at that point and plenty of data to work with to get something started. What we decided though, as, as we were making decisions that we needed to make more money from our ads. And so we built out a handful of tools to help us do that. One of those was a tool that helped us um, rotate ads from different ad networks to make mm -hmm. sure we would always have an ad shown. That was like a tool we built. Yeah. The other thing we built was, uh, it, was it was an incentivized ads platform. Essentially, we said if you, um, you know, buy this other app or engage with this other service, uh, we'll give you a new tower in the game. And that's yep. the concept of incentivized ad was not new to us, yeah. but the concept of doing a mobile was. So we were really one of the first companies to do that, and so we built this in. And you know, we, we obviously this is now my full-time job by the time that thing launches, but I, I distinctly remember, um, you know, it's building out that incentivized ads product. And you know, we submit our you know, tap defense or our game. We submitted the uh, app store for an update. You know, it takes back then it took two, three weeks at least to get through. Yeah. And I remember being literally on a, a ride with uh, my family. We we're taking a trip to Yosemite. I remember getting the email as I'm sitting next to my father in the car, I'm like, "Oh, cool, our our, our app is approved." And I, I wonder how it's going to work because you know, ultimately, when you're you're doing something new for the first time, you're really trying to understand is how will people respond 
to this new concept, right? The question was, will a lot of people decide to engage with our ads in order to get new towers in the game? And it turns out the answer was a ton of people would, right? It worked yeah. really, really well. And that was, I remember very distinctly thinking, this is like going to be a fantastic opportunity for us. Uh, and so what we did was like, we found this thing that worked really well for us. And so we opened it up to third-party developers. We made an SDK. We went to these local Palo Alto meetups and for other like mobile developers. Uh, and we worked with all the iFund uh, portfolio companies and we gave them tools to either monetize their games really well with the incentivized ads or tools to help distribute their games or other apps really well as, as ads on our, our network. And the fact is ad platforms are nothing new. Ad tech is nothing new. It's been around since the beginning of the internet. We've had digital ads. And so there wasn't like anything earth shattering here, but it, for us, it worked really well. And over time, like, we started out making like, you know, thousands of dollars a month, tens of thousands of dollars a month to uh, like, over uh, millions of dollars a month. By the time I ended up leaving Taptroid, we were making $10 million a month in top line revenue coming into this platform because it worked really, really well. And so the, a lot of it was just getting lucky, having like a need that we had to solve ourselves. Yeah. Part of it was having access to fantastic individuals who were able to hook us up with proper partners, including a lot of Lee's friends from Stanford Business School. Uh, they were really influential. Um, but we were you know, in a position where we were making a lot of money coming in, but we're also paying it out. When you're an ad network, you know, most of the money that comes in is getting paid out to publishers. So it's not like we were massively profitable. And we're also unsure of the future of like how like successful this sort of ad could be and the platform could be. Because a number of things could have gotten away. And in fact, over time, they, they certainly did uh, prevent that from working uh, forever. But the big question right, is, from an exit perspective is, you know, a year in to the platform being live. Uh, we were doing, if I remember correctly, about a half a million dollars a month in top line revenue, which is really good for two people. Sure. We had one we had one employee, my friend Steven, who's a fantastic engineer, and, and I, I love working with Steven, a um, good friend of mine. And then we had an, two interns uh, from Stanford. One of them ended up founding the company Pocket Gems. The other founded Bayview Labs, um, which you know has had a fantastic exit of its own. And like, so we're a small company. And we're making this kind of money, and we had an opportunity to exit or raise more cash. Yeah, let me let me stop you there. So, okay, awesome story, right? You guys that yep. kind of pivot to that distribution network was yep. gold. You solved the problem for yourself, and now you're opening it up to everyone else in that ecosystem. So that's amazing. Right. And so, do you have uh, other? Do you have investors, board members? Like, who else is part of this? That's a stakeholder. Uh, we had one investor. Who had a okay. small piece of the company? And was that so, Kleiner? Well, was that the gr Kleiner no, group? It no, it was an ex-Kleiner investor who okay. started his own investment firm. Yep. And so it's Tugboat Ventures, I believe, and they put I think it was half a million in roughly. Okay. okay. Um, after we had the game, we're like, all right, we're going to take a small investment to help scale us out uh, a bit as we had the game coming in with some ad revenue, but it wasn't a ton of ad revenue at the time and maybe a hundred grand a month, but like you're spending money on like developers and all these other things. So it's not like we had a ton to pay ourselves or anything, which was okay. Part of being a startup, you know, I'd made some decent money at Google. So we were okay going without a salary uh, for a while, but we wanted to raise a little bit of money anyways. So we had to, but it was just be Lee and one investor. And that was all. So it's really the three of you, those are the, you guys are going to make this decision when the opportunity arises to exit. Right. Yes. Right. And we weren't planning on an exit. We weren't really planning on it. Okay. 
How did it come about? So how it came about is we were doing a partnership with a company that did basically what we did, but on the web. Yep. So we had this partnership going with them to like share ads and stuff. And they decided they wanted to do what they were doing on mobile. So they, they said, we, we want to buy you. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. So they want to take their business to mobile from web to mobile. Yeah. Is that the idea? Yes. And they were a yeah. big kind of customer or third party vendor to you already? They were doing exactly what we were doing, but they were on the web. Okay. I think, I mean, because I, I know, I know the story of OfferPal, yeah. right? And I feel like yep, that's a lot of kids were signing up for Netflix to get like points or something like that through exactly. their network. Yeah, exactly. They were huge on Facebook. So back then, Facebook games were the thing. Yep. And so they basically were the ad network for Facebook games. And you could sign up for Netflix or whatever, and you'd get some extra stuff for your Zynga farm in Farmville. Right, right. Yeah. So, and they were doing really well. They were making a lot of money. Yep. And like, hey, we, we see mobile as the next big thing. We want to buy you guys and, and like take this partnership and really make it go on mobile. So how did that start? Was it the CEO that calls you guys and, and makes this yep. offer? Was it really important that you had some kind of partnership beforehand that got them to a comfort level? Or, or they just saw you growing out of the weeds, getting big and going, these guys are the mobile leaders. We need to No, we the, need to the partnership. The that, partnership was yep. like huge. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they approach you, right? And what, what's yep. that? What's that like? So they approached and they said, "We want to, you know, make an offer to to buy you." And I, I don't remember the specifics. It's been so long. It's yeah. been uh, almost fifteen years, but I don't remember exactly. They gave us numbers at the time or not. Mm -hmm. But they said they wanted to buy us. And at the time, we were we were thinking, "Well, maybe we should be raising around mm -hmm. from investors." Mm -hmm. And so we we approached Kleiner Perkins, and they said that they would be willing to to lead around. Uh, and it was we. And so now we had these two options. Right? We were like, Kleiner could lead around. I think it was a Series A, or we could take this acquisition. Yep. And so there was just a ton of back and forth at this point. Yep. It took months of back and forth between Lee, myself, um, to make the right decision. And I'll be honest, in the end, we made the wrong decision. The crazy part is we, we like spent so long on this call, yeah. and we made the absolute wrong one. Okay, so hindsight twenty twenty, right? I remember, I remember these moments, right? Because you were calling me yeah. and saying we can take money, we can take the exit. What should we do? And you know, maybe you should never ask for my advice again. But I was about Ben, change your life because we are serial yeah. entrepreneurs. You're going to do this again and again and again. Like, get your family straight, no debt, coming out. Like, you know, right. change your life. And that was, yeah. that was my pitch to you, right? And I think you had some competing opinions. Right, we had competing opinions. And the fact is, like, ultimately, the, the, the decision to sell ultimately yeah. was the right call. For sure, uh, my life is way better off having sold the business. Had I waited three months, yeah. we would have made more money. A little more. The Six time. months, yeah. For sure, like, and the thing is, you never know the timing. And, and like, the story continues for sure. Yeah. Um, it turns out, like, the, the story of Tapshoy, because what happened is, Offerbell bought us. Yeah. We ended up surpassing them and they took our name. So tapped and it became an entirely mobile business. So it was just our business. Yeah. It recently sold for $400 million, but I know they I were worth that. a lot more. They were worth a lot more yeah. 10 years ago. So basically like went up. And then of course, and especially when you look at the value of individual shares yep. dropped a lot over the time after that, because yeah. like the whole ecosystem changed, there's competition. There are a lot of rules sure. about what you can and cannot do. And part of ads go. So the fact is like, you never know the right time to sell. What we, the reason we made the decision to sell and why it wasn't so bad in the end yeah. is personally for, for Lee and myself, uh, in that exit, we made a lot of money yeah. and more money. Like, our, our, the theory was, this is very like MBA speak, but 
the utility to us of more money goes down dramatically once you have a certain amount. Yes. And so that was that was Todd's advice, and it's, it's correct. And, and the fact is, like, if you're talking about the difference between having, say, three million dollars, or five million dollars, or ten million dollars, or even a billion dollars, honestly, it's not that different. Okay. It really isn't much different as far as like your overall level of happiness. We looked at, we did all the research on what drives happiness and stress and yeah. everything else in life. And the fact is, it was enough money for us personally that we would be in fantastic shape. I think that's really important because I was going to ask yeah. you. You know, not specifically asking about the number, but how did you come to a number that made it, that's enough, that's enough for me to feel really comfortable to solidify a future, allow me to continue to do what I love to do, being an yeah. entrepreneur. So you kind of answered that. Was there any, yeah. like, I know there was disagreement. So I've had investors that are pushing me to do one thing and others pushing to do another yeah. and fights in boardrooms. And so it was just three of you. So you and Lee really are making the decision, but the third party, are they happy with the exit? Ultimately, as an investor, he got a return, Yep. but he would have gotten a bigger return had we stayed independent sure. for another three to nine months. Okay. And like, like the fact is it would have been, and, and the utility to him and his fund would certainly be higher yes. than it would for us individually. So like, these are always the considerations. Like there was... And, you know, a lot of stories come out about companies that are worth a billion dollars and then go down to nothing. Mm -hmm. So, like, you need to take those exits. Uh, in our case, you know, had we known what the future, like, the next six months would have looked like, sticking around independently, we would have made three times as much money. Okay, so you make the decision, you change your life, yeah. and now you got to go work for somebody, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, my guess, because I know myself, right, I'm not the best employee, so what's it like? Obviously, I don't want to project that on you because you were did a, yeah. did fantastically at, at Google, right? You won some engineering prizes. Like you were clearly great there. I did okay. I did okay. I, I didn't like. I'm not a corporate guy either. Okay. Like, I had to. I, I like. I started some projects that did very well. That's just good. But I also didn't get promoted a lot, or you know, that sort of thing. You know, actually, one of my favorite things about you is how exceptional you are as an entrepreneur and how self-deprecating and humble you are, never kind of looking for the limelight, right? Your name wasn't splashed around in the exits very much um, that you've had. Nope. And so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that you're never kind of looking for that attention. So you're going to work at OfferPal that soon renames themselves yeah. Tapjoy. What's that like? It, it was a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed that time. So A, you know, when... <sighs> When you're acquired, you are working for the, the acquiry. Yep. That's a fact of life. Yep. Yep. However, it's not like you just got a job there. There's a gigantic difference between coming in off the street as an employee versus being acquired as a founder. Okay. When you're acquired as a founder, you're not looking for a promotion. You're not looking for a raise. You're not looking for a good performance review. So the stress level of being that employee is way lower. Yeah. Ultimately, there are restrictions about what you can and can't do. So you can't just start another business. And that's why a lot of founders want to leave the acquiry company. So they want to start another business. Yeah. And so you start, you stay for a few years or whatever, and then you, you make your, your cash and then you start something new is, is a super common story. I enjoyed it. Honestly, I enjoyed it very much. We, um, A, because like our business was doing so well. We had all these resources. So Lee and I were still like, we weren't the CEO of the new company, but we were still essentially in charge because all the employees were working on our thing. And if we wanted something to happen, it would still happen because they're not going to overrule us and mm -hmm. then like lose their employees 
if we were doing something stupid, I'm sure that would have happened. But the fact is we had a ton of autonomy. We hired a bunch of our friends. So a bunch more ex-Googlers and friends <laughs> of ours came over and joined, yeah. uh, joined Tabjoy at that point. Uh, we started out like six of us working in this small Regis office. Then we established this huge San Francisco office and all of OfferPal ended up moving up there. And it was like this really fun, awesome time. So and cool. the business was going, growing like crazy. So a bunch of friends of ours started new mobile gaming companies and we like funded those companies and we like worked with them and they were showing Tapjoy ads and we were giving them credits and it was like, and these all became big, big businesses. And so like, it was just getting crazy. It was a little intense from a, you know, people getting a little like over invested in their work sort of situations. You know, people getting sure. a little full of themselves or whatever. It was like sort of, if you've seen the, the, the show Silicon Valley, yeah, yeah. it started to feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the numbers kept growing up. Like we went from 500,000 a month, like 10 million a month, top five revenue wow. and the business kept blowing up and it like i enjoyed it i was working with my friends yeah. and we were hanging out and this was before i had kids so we would be like stay and work late and grab dinners and go to like bourbon and branch and have all these like fun times and fun drinks and, and it was really exciting that's so cool So i didn't find that like ultimately not being in charge didn't change much so you're never like even as an entrepreneur yep. if you start your company you're never in charge you have investors, mm -hmm. you have employees, you've got partners, you're never calling the shots. You don't ever get to do everything you want to do. And, and Todd, you know this as well yeah. as anybody else. Yeah. Um, so it's a different experience when you're working for the acquiree. Uh, but for that year, I, I really loved it. But ultimately, we knew, Lee and I, that we had an opportunity in front of us after about a year to like, start a company and raise money from whomever we wanted to raise from yeah. and do whatever we wanted to do. Like We knew that. Like Tapjoy was as big a thing as like in, in ads right now yeah. at that point. So we also knew like we want to start something new and we knew that we didn't have a big skin in the game left. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask in that exit, right? So you get a check up front, but there's some kind of earn out component to it, right? They want you, they got to keep yep. you. There was an earn out. Yep. They have to keep you so you get paid over time and we got some stock in the, the, the company as well. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it was, it was a smallish piece. Like we could like, we could start a company right now yep. and own 50% each and then give a little bit to an investor Yep. and, and do something new and actually be in charge again. One thing that I've found is that if you put a win on the board, right, that's another reason yeah. to sell for a first time entrepreneur, you put a win yes. on the board, getting up to bat again, it's a little easier the next time. Now you, you're hitting home runs. So yes, I remember with Sequoia and Kleiner and a few yeah. others, they're willing to write a check before you even pitch an idea because you are, you know, you guys are the guys right. at the time. So I think that's, that's not right. a small point that putting wins on the board, not just filling up the bank account. And if you're truly a serial entrepreneur, this is what you're doing as a career huge huge benefit to selling a business correct yep yeah hundred percent agreed it made like the tap choice sale initially even though like waiting would have made me more money mm -hmm. the decision to sell ultimately set up the rest of my career yep and we made far more spoiler alert with business number two yep. than we would have made even in business number one had we waited all right so that's like that's a great segue i want to yeah. hear about number two and then one of the things i did want to get to is like emotionally ready to give up yeah. your baby on the first one, uh, right? You'd done this before, right? You've had yeah. smaller exits, but you know, were you prepared? It sounds like you kind of shifted right into that kind of quote unquote employee role really, really well. I did shift really well because we because we, we were still in charge. But I like, yes, giving it up did hurt a little bit. Yeah. Um, harder was leaving. Um, we we I remember we left Tapjoy on a Friday, um, and I was like, you know what? It's it's time. Like uh, it's yeah. gonna be tough to leave it. 
it's going to be tough to leave this behind because Tabjoy is doing great. It, it was crazy. Like literally, t- we left on a Friday, Monday. Um, you know, Tabjoy, like the whole ad space, sort of took a big hit. Actually, that Monday it was a really crazy story. We were literally in Sequoia's office pitching the next business, and Tabjoy is like main model was getting kind of crushed by Apple. Uh, and so that's a longer story, but we like we were gone. So, but when you left, right, you had so many people that you were part yeah. of starting those entrepreneurial careers too, right? Because they were on oh, the yeah. ship with you. So, and now that's you're right. not just leaving the leaving the business; you're you're leaving a lot of people, right? You're obviously right. they have access to you and their friends, but you don't you're not working yeah. with them on a day to day basis in the battle, right? And that's also part of life, yep. right? It's one of those things where if you if you feel like you have to stay somewhere for other people, like you're never going to be happy. And I I always tell my employees never feel bad about leaving a business, including mine. Like if you want to leave, like you need to do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Don't feel bad about leaving a business. And I, you know, it was hard at the time because these were my friends and I was working with them and I wanted their careers to go. Ultimately the, the early tap track people have all done fantastic. Uh, they started multiple businesses, uh, a handful are way bigger than mine combined. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and are, are doing very well. Uh, in their careers, and, and you know they got a great opportunity, learned a ton, and by me leaving, it also opened up some leadership opportunities for folks. Right? Sure, by Lee sure. and I taking off, yep, and that was important. But we, we yeah, we wanted to do something new, and, and so we did. All right, right? tell we, me, tell me, uh, tell me about Karma. This is awesome. Okay, I love. So with Karma, you know, this was Lee's idea. Lee's like, hey, we, we need to make it so people can send gifts from their phone. Yeah, because people need to do that, and and he's really good at getting somebody excited about an idea. Yeah. <laughs> in, in retrospect, it wasn't the world's greatest idea, but no. he was so excited about it. And and he was so good at this. Like, yeah, of course, people want to send gifts to a phone number. You don't need to know their address. And then they'll get a text message. And they'll put their address in, and then the gift will ship. And, it, and, and it, in retrospect, like putting in an address of where a gift should be shipped is not the hardest part about buying a gift. It's actually spending the money is the hardest part about buying a gift. Uh, but we built this thing. So we, we Kleiner and Sequoia, like, hey, we believe mobile commerce is going to be th- a big thing. They co-led the round. So we had millions of dollars to start off day one. We ended up getting more money from fantastic angels. And we built out a team of 16 people. Okay. So we, like, we, we, we found an office in San Francisco. We built out a great team. And we, we took this vision, and roughly a year after we started the company, we were able to launch a brand new mobile commerce, mobile gifting company. Yep. And that was like a whirlwind year. I loved that year. Uh, again, I didn't have kids at the time, so working pretty late. Uh, a lot of times we were all like in the office till midnight, one, two in the morning, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, the Tapjoy era was behind me, and I didn't like. I didn't really miss the influence over the mobile world, and I really enjoyed like focusing on a single product to build. So it was, it was brand new, and it was a lot of fun. It, clearly, the success of Tapjoy opened up the ability to start Karma. The ability, because yep. we sold the business and had a good good exit, and like had real like our names were in the press. Yeah. So we knew we could raise this money. We knew we could hire a great team. Right. The people we brought on board to to early early employees of Karma, uh, like Judy Liu and Ivan, like. Like they would not have joined us if if our names weren't out there. Yeah. So that was a major benefit. We started this company. We had a great team, great employees, and we built this mobile gifting thing. And I remember we launched it. And ultimately, it. I don't think we were solving a top problem. Like we had, we were in like forty articles. Yeah. Across the country, we were in the news. We were all over. It was, it was yeah. just like a blitz of press. Yeah. And I remember we got like thirty thousand downloads, which. Like in retrospect, it's not, not bad, but at the time, like this is not 
enough downloads. Like yeah. we could have gotten 30,000 downloads for a few thousand dollars yeah. uh, of ad spend, right? The idea that we, we did all this press yeah. and all this work and then we didn't get that much users. We didn't get that many gifts sold, interestingly enough. But it's like, all right, we got to figure that out. But after, as we launched, you know, um, Facebook yeah. approached us. Lee, Lee was friends with a few folks over at early Facebook employees. This was like 2012, so yeah. it was pretty early on. And we had we had integrated Facebook into Karma so that you could send gifts to your friends on Facebook, and that's where we, we ended up building some really cool functionality to show you when your friends' birthdays are coming up yeah. and other major life events. And so Facebook was a pretty big component of what we were doing. And uh, there was a person at Facebook who was like, "Hey, I want to do gifts at Facebook." And so they decided that they got their their corporate team involved, and they decided to make an offer to buy us. So what happened is somebody on the product team yes. that is thinking about social, you got you call it mobile gifting. I, I think of it yep. more as like social gifting. And they're, they're like, okay, oh, we got to build this out. And they're probably got their own plans and they see, oh, there's a relationship, people I trust, people that have been successful before, maybe I should take a look. When they decide, right, that this is something that we could acquire, they're pushing it upstream to the corp dev group. Yes. When they decide they want to buy it, they go they upstream. And I get that question a lot. Yeah. Is, you know, how do I start a conversation with a strategic buyer, right? And often it starts at product, right? Because product has to endorse, hey, this is on our roadmap and this is something that we want to do and these guys do it better. They save, save us essentially time. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think as the acquiring, as a startup, yep. I don't think you can start this conversation. I, honestly, this is what investment bankers are for. You know, and, and if you want to potentially be acquired, like you're not going to have access to the right people yes. and know who's going to be interested by like, this is why there is an investment banking industry because they know who might potentially be an acquirer. We, we at the time, we're not looking to be acquired. Yep. And to be fair, like I, I think we should have, once we got that offer, we probably should have engaged with the banker to see who else might be interested in acquiring us. We had like, we ended up getting one or two other interested companies, but ultimately I, I think we should have, tried to work with professionals if we had seriously considered being acquired because you don't, you can't make this happen organically. Yeah. I think you got kind of hit two points that I've learned over time is that, you know, if you have an investment banker that is a true specialist in your industry, they are talking to the Facebooks of the world yeah. that are interested in you. They know what they're thinking about for the next six months to 18 months. And so if they see something, they're bringing real value to the Facebook as a, as a client. Hey, are you thinking about this? How are you thinking about it? And you're right. They absolutely know the people to start that, that conversation. And I think that I learned that over time, certainly. And, and today right. we see that. We see that every day now. Right. It's 100% true. So they're calling you. And then where does it go from there? So we had really no interest in being acquired uh, at the time. Okay. But so we, we said no. And like we had a potential offer for a series A or B or however you want to call it back then from Kleiner. They were going to give us a decent valuation. Uh, we were pretty happy with it to like keep the business, to, to fund the business, allow us to really expand. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, I'm like, why would they do that? We had no metrics yeah. that show we had product market fit. Why would they put money in? But they, they liked the team and the founders, et cetera. And, and ultimately they think we'd figure it out. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I, like Facebook just kept raising how much they were willing to pay. Yeah. And I remember getting a call from, from Lee uh, when I was on vacation in um, L.A. And like, hey, ben, uh, Mark Zuckerberg wants to meet us. And like, I think this is getting serious. 
And so I had to leave my vacation early. It was super worth it. Yeah. Flew back to, to Menlo Park and had a meeting with Zuck uh, to discuss this. And it, I think M- Mark they who? were really... Who was yeah. that? Mark who? <laughs> so you took the meeting. You decided to take the meeting? We decided to take the meeting right. and they ended up buying us yep. they, like for far more money than we were worth. Far more money. They well, like far more money than the business maybe was worth, right? But what you guys right. have been doing is is powerful, and what you could enable for them potentially, yeah, potentially, the, the potentially, yes, potentially. It was a deal where they bought our business for stock, yep, which were, turned out to be great. It was, it was right before the IPO. Oh yeah, yeah. So we should have said that. So Facebook is a private company at this point, right? Right. And they're going public in 2012, right? Yes. And so you're you're in this discussion as they're planning their IPO. Yep, we were like, they, they, like there were a number of companies they were buying up through that point in yeah, time. But yep, like, yeah, yeah. then we started, it must be February 2012. Yep. And we ended up agreeing on numbers and we're, our lawyers worked overtime. We got the whole deal done the day before the IPO. So it was like hours, right? You could count the number hours. of hours before they went yeah. public. And, and that's important, right? Because I'm sure getting stock before an IPO and after an IPO, there's a difference. Would you, would you feel like you would have had to start that M and A process over once they were a public company or a no, making, it turned no, out, no, actually no, there's no, nope. That was entirely the same either way. Like would have been but we wanted okay. to be, we wanted to be there before the IPO. And so the, it, frankly, if you don't have a deadline, lawyers will take forever and charge you a fortune. So if you don't have the right lawyers, yeah. Well, okay. So talk about that. Like what did it cost from on legal fees? If you can share that for, as an example, right? Cause you didn't use an investment banker, right? We did not use a maker. We yep. spent about $200,000 on lawyer fees. Okay. And they, how, how long did that process take? Uh, probably March through May. Okay. If I remember. Okay. So like okay. Two months. Okay. So engaging lawyers, kind of a lot of them for a couple of months cost 200 grand. Yep. And that was back then. Yeah. There's no way it would be that cheap anymore. Right. Right. Absolutely no way. Every, everything has gone up in price. Yeah. And, and was the firm that you use, were they, they were specialists in M&A? Right, that is the no, group that you we, got. We just use our regular corporate attorneys. Okay, okay. Maybe that was a mistake, but I don't know. They were, it's like, look, the deal worked out in the end, and I don't begrudge the lawyers um, for what they were able to do, which is get the deal done. Yeah, we were happy with the terms in the end, and like things have very much worked out for us. What we've seen, because I think this is really educational, is when you have a legal team on your side that really focuses on M&A, they often know the corporate development and lawyers on the buyer side. So a lot of the stuff that they might argue about just goes away because they're not uh, going to try to obstruct a deal. They know, yeah. you know, they know the soft points and the drywall right. to punch through. And so they get, they get way more efficient. That's what, that's what we've seen at XOIs for our clients. So we do things a lot less expensively because they're more efficient. I mean, that would be great because that money comes directly out of our pockets. Yes. All right, so now you sell to Facebook and now you got to go yep. work there. For four years, yeah, for four years. Okay, so it's a four-year commitment to earn whatever the, the purchase exactly. price was and it's in stock, right? So you're riding the Facebook stock at that point. So there's a ton yep. of risk in accepting that, right? You didn't know where yep. where it was going to go. I didn't, but there was a major tax advantages to, to, to taking a stock for stock deal. All right, so I think there's a ton of learnings here, but yep. I want to touch on like a couple things. So, okay. all right. You come to my bachelor party, right? Yes. And by the way, congratulations again for winning MVP of the bachelor party. We played tons of different, all different sports from skeet shooting to beach volleyball. And you were uh, stellar and, and won that yeah, award. Stellar. Uh, 
<laughs> well, you didn't shoot yourself, yeah. so I think that <laughs> we had our doubts, and so you came out unscathed, and you you won. But I do distinctly remember: no phones are allowed at the bachelor party. But we're in an elevator, and you get a text, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And do you re- do you remember this? Who it was? No, I do, I don't remember at all. Okay, no. so so I'm not sure where your product karma was at that point, but clearly you were trying to release something. And I'm like, what are you doing, Ben? And you're like, Zuckerberg's saying, blah, blah, blah. You won't release this product. I'm telling it's good. I'm saying release it. <laughs> you're like all upset, oh, yelling at Zuckerberg via text in the elevator. And we're look, oh, the rest of us are looking around and like, who are we in this elevator with? Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember, do you remember that? You showed us. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's actually doing that. So that was just, that. I mean, you know, as, an, as a tech entrepreneur, right? That, that's, that was a pretty impressive moment. That, was it? To you, oh, to you, you're like oh, on a daily basis. No problem. They put it put you in charge of Oculus at one point. Like, weren't you bouncing no. around? <laughs> what were I you did. doing there? So what happened was, um, anyway, the gifting thing failed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Absolutely failed. Uh, people don't want to send gifts. Uh, companies will. I'm sure Facebook will launch it again, and and there's other companies out there doing gifts, and there might be ways to do, to make it work through like corporate or whatever. But ultimately, the margins never made sense. Okay. So it's not like we were making a fortune per gift. Sure. And the numbers weren't enough to justify like real estate or a whole team at Facebook. And Zuck said, "Hey, you know, I think if you guys spent six months on ads, you would make like." There's like a certain dollar amount per day that we were trying to hit. Like you're like you would make that in six months on ads, and you could do way better than that. We're like, I don't think that's true, but we'll take a look. And we ended up realizing like the product database we were using for all of our gifts would be a great way to like store the list of products that might be advertised on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, you would advertise a product the same way you advertise everything else. It was a link in an image. We said no. What if you uploaded a list of the stuff you sell and advertised a product ID, and then all that data we could do a much better job mm-hmm. of deciding which products to show to which person at which time. And it turned out that was absolutely true. So we built this big database. Um, it's now billions and billions and billions of dollars. And I was like, they, they, if Facebook got their money's worth from us, like that product database is a huge deal. Um, we built this whole ads team. And then I remember because I, I was there, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, this is very successful. And I'm like, I could probably, I, I kid you not, I could yeah. probably get an exceeds expectations. Uh, in my next performance review for, for building a billion dollar ad thing. And like we, we started, like Lee and I started it from scratch. I mean, yeah. We built the, the, the PowerPoint deck. Yeah. They use Microsoft products. We built a PowerPoint deck to ask for headcount. Like, hey, we want to do this thing. Here's why it will be successful. I need eight engineers, like yeah. so on and so forth. We, we did that. We, from idea to like asking resources, which we got approved to making it happen to launch the success. So I, and I did, I got in these expectations. Uh, so is that, when, that's like a billion dollars a year, every year that, that, for the for at least a few more years, right? Way, way, way more, oh, way wow. more, billions, billions, and billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Awesome. But it's like, it's like, keep in mind, that doesn't mean they made it because of us, right? Like ultimately, the like those ads are replacing other ads. Yeah. But a huge like chunk of value grows because of the yep. their so, advertising ideas rather than things. Anyways, Zuckerberg so, knew what he was buying, right? It wasn't it wasn't Karma Science. He was buying you guys. It, it, it was the capture thing. I'm yeah. like, oh great, I'm doing ads again. Yeah. Um, but it was it was successful and the team was happy and like some of them were the original karma folks who also had a lot of new Facebook folks. It was a fun time. I, yeah. I enjoyed working at Facebook a lot more than I thought it would. I was there for over four years. That's I had a great. blast. Um, I was in great shape working out at their gym and taking advantage of the amenities. I, I was meeting great, really smart people that were fun to work with. Yeah. I loved the environment. So I, I was I was skeptical going, but I really enjoyed it. Um, 
in the end, though, uh, Oculus got acquired by Facebook, and I remember trying it for the first time, thinking this is the most amazing technology ever. So I reached out to their uh, head. I was not in charge of Oculus Band Stretch. I was ended up being a but you wrote you wrote there. their first game, right? Didn't you write a no, game? <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote a game. I I brag about you a lot, you do. and I never okay. let the truth get in the way of a good story. No, man. absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, I I was like I was still able to code. So I I built a game in my spare time, and I reached out to their their head of product and listen, you're going to need an engineering manager from Facebook at some point who knows how to like manage engineers here when you do hook me up i've built a game for your platform i'm super obsessed with this i was doing vr when i was in college 20 years ago just like yeah. let me know and so like a month or so later they reached out and said hey you want to be an engineer manager over here and so i joined and i spent some time there before ultimately leaving to start limbics i want to hear about limbics and then with a few minutes left like i want to hear about advice that you might you know give to our fellow okay. founders around around m a Long story short, you know, the exits of Tapjoy and Karma gave me a ton of opportunities. I, I could start a business knowing two things. One, I, I could raise money very easily from investors. And two, we could build a fantastic team and execute on a product strategy. And so we did that thanks to the success of Jim Getz over at Sequoia led uh, our, our first seed round, uh, built a great team of co-founders uh, to, to get started with Limbix, which is a company focused on building software to address uh, teenage mental health disorders. And so I was able to, to focus on an area which I was was really impactful for myself and something I was really passionate about, building a team of people that are also really passionate about the subject. And we're in an area right now where uh, I'm, I'm hoping that Limbix itself can see true financial success uh, in the near future. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be able to start this business at all or be able to do what I love doing now if, if it wasn't for those previous exits. Yeah, I, I love it. I think what I'm hearing from the advice standpoint is you know, creating, putting wins on the board, like I said earlier, like yeah. uh, uh, being able to sell a business enables you to go do the next one, makes it a little bit easier and you've done it over and over yeah. and over. So, um, man, thank you for being part of this, right? I know the, the Ben Lewis story is certainly not over and uh, you are our opening episode. I think people are really going to enjoy this. So, Ben, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Todd. This is awesome. Of course. All right. Good to be on. Have a good, good one, Ben. Good to be the inaugural member. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Cashing Out Podcast. For more founder exit stories, please subscribe to the Cashing Out Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please remember, ExitWise.com and the Cashing Out Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. This should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions.